Romans chapter 3, beginning with the 21st verse. But now the righteousness of God has been made manifested apart from the law, although the law and prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By, by what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since God is one, who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith? Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Let us pray. Almighty God, we give thanks to you today for your word. We ask now, Lord, as we look at this word, you would give us understanding and application for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you have ever been in a job interview before? I'm assuming the majority have been in a job interview before. And before that job interview, how many of you turned in a resume or a job application? How many of you put things on that resume or job application that you were hoping would get you the job? Some of you are lying, or some of you just are not participating today. All of us have probably had a resume or a job application at some point that we've turned in. The goal of the resume or the job application is what? Acceptance, getting hired, validation. My goal is turn in the resume for them to look at the resume and say, wow, I want to hire this guy. When I turn in a job application, I put things on that job application that what? Is going to cause them to accept me, cause them to give approval to me. All of us do this with our resumes and our job applications, but actually, it goes one step further. Actually, all of us live our whole lives as though we're in a constant job interview. I would argue that all of us are constantly building a resume or a job application for what? People's approval. We're constantly trying to do things that get people to like us. We're constantly doing things that are going to get us in good position with other people. Just like with our employers, that resume is a piece of work with the goal of getting us accepted. Or think about it this way for a second. When you're trying to get accepted into college, what do you show them? A report card. You show them your report card because your report card shows what you're made of, basically. shows your abilities, and you're hoping that by that report, you're accepted into a college. So your report card or your resume is your body of work that you're hoping gets you accepted. And the same is true for our whole life. We've got this body of work, our behavior, our thoughts, our actions, the way we live, where we work, the hobbies that we do, this whole body of work that we hope will get us accepted by others. 
Most of us, at least, and I would argue none of us, wake up and say to ourselves, what can I do today to be unaccepted by everyone around me? People that wake up and say that, they're in jail right now, or they're in a place where the majority of us don't want to go. Nobody does that. What we do is we try to put together a life that makes us acceptable to others. And then, now the dangerous step comes, is we transfer this, translate this onto our relationship with God. So just like with one another, we've got to put together a body of work to get accepted before God then we say, well, I've got to put together a body of work in order to be accepted by God. And this is all religions all across the world. Every religion is based off of this system, this system of I need to put together a body of work, morality, good work, so that what? I can be in relationship with God. The religious way of saying that is this. I want to be righteous before God. Righteous means to be in right standing with God. Or to be righteous means to be approved because of your body of work, your behavior. So if I'm righteous, I'm what? I'm right according to my standard of behavior. And so religion is all about getting righteous before God. It's basically a job interview. The question then before us is, how do we get righteous before God? Last week's non-negotiable told us that every human being is or was under the power and guilt of sin. Every human being was or is under the power and guilt of sin. In other words, wrongdoing or rebellion. That guilt of sin does what? It places us as unrighteous before the throne of God. Look with me in Romans chapter 3, back to verse 10 that we looked at last week. Verse 10, it says, None is righteous, no, not one. So we heard the indictment last week that because of our sin, none of us stands righteous before God, or in other words, none of us have God's approval. Because of our sin, none of us are approved by God. So we've got a dilemma. So how can we be in right standing with God? And now we get to the good news today in Romans chapter 3, verses 21 on. The good news today is this, is that our righteousness, our approval, is not based upon our body of work, but it's based upon the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, the resume that you and I get to turn into God in the throne room is not my resume of morality or my resume of good works, but I turn in the resume of Jesus Christ. And so today's non-negotiable is that we are declared righteous through faith in Jesus who died for us. We are declared righteous through faith in Jesus who died for us. Your greatest problem this morning is not paying your mortgage. Your greatest problem this morning is not trying to retire early. Your greatest problem this morning is not straightening out your wayward children. Your greatest problem this morning, according to the Bible, is that you do not stand righteous before the throne of God. Therefore, you deserve God's wrath and God's eternal punishment. So the question becomes, how can I be declared righteous? Look with me at Romans chapter 3, and we have really good news. It starts in verse 21 with this beautiful but. 
as he says to us, Ho, ho, yes, there's no one righteous. And then in verse 21, but hold on. Now a righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, which means this. Now there's a way to stand approved before God without fulfilling the works of the law. That the law, working the law by our own power, does not make us righteous before God. Now something has been revealed to us. What's been revealed to us, look with me down to verse 24. Now to verse 24, what's been revealed is that we are justified by His grace as a gift. The word justify, if you have your Bible with you today, underline the word justify, circle it, and then draw an arrow from that word justify back up to the word righteousness. To be justified is to be declared righteous. If you look back at the original biblical languages, the word justification and righteousness are very similar. They, they really come from the same root, root, root words. So to be justified is to be declared righteous. So when it says here that we've been justified by His grace, what it's really saying is that we are declared righteous. We are declared in right standing with God, not because of anything we have done, but because of the grace. And it's all a gift. So how is it then that this gift is received? Look with me at verse 24 as we continue on. And are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This gift of justification is to be received by faith. You and I are declared righteous before God when you and I profess faith in Jesus Christ. The moment that we profess faith in Jesus Christ, there's a declaration. A declaration that we are made righteous. Justification is instantaneous. Justification is not a process. Justification is not a lifelong event. Justification is an event. It's a moment. It's when the judge issues an order. The judge, the creator of the universe says, not guilty. You're righteous. You're approved in my sight. Justification, a declaration that you are righteous and it's received through when we believe in Jesus Christ. So when we say, God, I'm no longer going to trust in my own abilities. God, I'm not going to trust in my good works. God, I'm not going to trust in my repentance. This is a big one. God, I'm not going to trust in my repentance. A lot of us do this. Our trust is in this idea that we've churned from our wrongdoing. So I'm trusting in the fact that God is going to look favorably upon the fact that yes, I've made an effort to leave my sinful ways behind. No, I cannot trust in my own efforts. The object of my trust has to be Jesus Christ. And from that trust in Jesus Christ then flows a life of repentance, flows a life of good works. You and I have a single problem. How can we be righteous before God? And the good news this morning is that we can be declared righteous, justified through faith in Jesus Christ. There's some big words in here this morning. Let's look with me at verse 25. And so we're declared righteous. How can this happen? How can a good judge, how can a good judge look upon a guilty person and say, you're righteous. Well, a good judge can do that because there's been a substitute. Look with me at verse 25. This judge, God, it says, put forward as a propitiation by his blood. 
propitiation. When's the last time you used that word in a day? Anybody used that word this last week? No, 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 propitiation. Your version, the NIV might say something like, to make atonement for sin. Propitiation means to satisfy the wrath of a judge or to satisfy the wrath of someone else. To, to make amends. So that's why the word atonement is used sometimes. Atone means to cover over. If I atone for something, what I'm doing is I'm making amends for my wrongdoing. I'm, cover, I'm covering my wrongdoing. So for example, in the Old Testament, in the book of Leviticus and Exodus, there was this thing called the atonement seat. On the atonement seat is where the blood of the sacrifices was put. Because on the atonement seat is where you covered over everyone's wrongdoing. So to atone for something is to cover over our sin. To have propitiation is to satisfy the wrath of God. There's a reason that a lot of new translations of the Bible don't use the word propitiation. This is actually a hotly debated item. If you've got a new translation after 1984, you might not have the word propitiation. The reason is this. We're trying to soften God. Because if we use the word propitiation, we're, we're understanding that, yes, Jesus, when Jesus died, Jesus was satisfying the wrath of God. And how dare we think that God could be wrathful? How dare we think that God could be just in punishing sinners? So what we've done is this. We take out the word propitiation. It removes this idea that we're satisfying the anger or the wrath of God. But the only reason that a good judge can declare you and I innocent, righteous, is because there's been a substitute. Jesus Christ dies on the cross. He's the propitiation. He atones for our sins. That atonement satisfies the wrath of God. It's kind of like this. Now, I'm just going to use a hypothetical situation. It's kind of like in the city of Sioux Falls, there used to be that, that camera that took a picture of you and you took a right on red. So you take a right on red. Let's just, hypothetically, there was a guy that was in the middle of the night at a youth lock-in driving some kids around, and let's say, hypothetically, he accidentally took a right on red. The camera caught him at a church event. And so the camera, a couple of months later, this guy gets a, a couple of weeks later, the guy gets a letter in the mail, a picture, you owe $89. What? It's right there. The car's obviously taking a right on red. Guilty. So you go stand before the judge, right? You owe the judge $89. How many of you would agree that that's a good judge if the judge says, hey, don't worry about it, dude. Everybody takes a right on red. Just leave my room, courtroom. Would that be a good judge? A good judge is what? There's evidence going to make them pay the $89. Same with you and I here today. God, a good judge, a perfect judge, that when we stand before God, a payment has to be made for our wrongdoing. And in Hebrews chapter 9 that we read earlier today says that in order for there to be the forgiveness of sins, there has to be the shedding of blood. So the judge has a choice. He can punish you and I or someone else has to take that punishment. And that's where this idea of propitiation and atonement comes from. It's all over in the book of Romans. It's in Galatians, 1 Peter, 1 John. It's the whole Old Testament. The whole sacrificial system that was set up was pointing 
to a greater reality that we read today in Hebrews chapter 9. If you've ever been confused reading Leviticus, like, what is up with all this blood stuff? The whole point is this. It's pointing to a greater reality that's coming in Jesus. So that when Jesus comes, all that previous stuff was just a pointing, a reflection of a greater reality that was coming. And Jesus came and fulfilled that sacrifice once for all. That's why there's no more sacrifices, is because Jesus has paid the penalty once and for all. And so Jesus fulfills the wrath of God by being our substitute. And he said, Jesus says, I'll take their punishment. I'll be their substitute. And we receive that when we trust in Jesus Christ. You and I this morning are in a job interview our whole lives. Our problem is this. We think we can get through the job interview by our own morality and our own good works. We can't. Not only can we not, but there's actually good news that we don't have to. We receive approval through faith in Jesus Christ. The problem this morning is this. Most of us are living as pardoned criminals. You're living this morning a majority of the time as a pardoned criminal. What do I mean by that? It's this. If you have any experience of spending any time with someone who's released from jail, you learn really quickly that someone can be released from jail, but their life is not returned at all to normalcy or any sense of freedom. They can be released from jail, forgiven, but here's the problem. They've got something on their record. And so what happens? Because of their record, now what? They can't find a place to live and they can't find a place to work. So they're living on pardon, basically, their whole life to still this sense of constraint, even though they've been freed from jail. The same is true of you and I this morning. Almost everybody here this morning, I I bet, would stand up willingly and say, yes, I believe that I'm forgiven. Forgiveness is the release. Forgiveness is the release from jail. It's it's God saying, no, you're no longer going to be punished. But We're beyond forgiven. Justification is just not forgiveness. Justification is complete restoration. It's what jail? What criminal act? You're not living on some sort of pardon. What? What happened? God doesn't even remember it. It's gone. The Bible tells us from the east to the west that wrongdoing is forgotten. Most of us this morning are just living as forgiven sinners. People who are just like, okay, I know I'm sinful, I do wrong, I'm just going to try a little bit harder, I'm going to try and avoid that a little bit more. No! We're not forgiven sinners. We are righteous. We are restored to perfect relationship. There is no record anymore. When God looks at you, God doesn't see a record of any wrongdoing. God sees the perfection of Jesus Christ. Look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 sums it up for us. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. We're not just to live as people who are forgiven, but we're to live actually as God's children. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Basically what this verse is saying, it's talking about the great exchange. Jesus becomes punishment for our sin. And what do we get? 
we get Jesus' righteousness. So Jesus takes the punishment for our sin. What do we get? We get Jesus' perfection. So actually, when God looks at you today, what does he see? He sees the perfect righteousness of Jesus. Do you continue to sin? Yes. We are in this flesh. We continue to struggle with sin. But we're declared righteous. It's this instantaneous moment, event. We need to begin to live as freed people. Not just forgiven, released people, but freed people. There is no guilt. There is no charge. It's been forgotten because we're declared righteous. Today's non-negotiable is that we are declared righteous through faith in Jesus Christ. And when we live out this non-negotiable, we live freely as God's children who inherit the whole earth and eternal life in His presence. And so our practical application today, our PAT, is all about entering into this life of freedom, leaving behind this life of just living as forgiven, but living as one's declared righteous. The first practical application today is this. It's just time for honest confession. Almost everybody in this room, I would contend, is dealing with something in life that you're feeling guilty about. You've done something or you're doing something. And the reason you don't want to confess or talk about it is because, man, I'm not a very good Christian. And so what I'm going to do is what? Like we talked about last week, I'm just going to reorganize this junk a little bit at certain times so I can appear as a good Christian. Well, here's the reality. That, whatever that is, has no sway on whether you stand righteous before God or not. Even if you fix that problem, <laughs> you, it doesn't improve your righteous standing before God because your righteous standing before God is Jesus. So therefore, because our righteous standing before God is Jesus, we should just put on the table the issues that we're dealing with. Maybe it's a past marriage that failed. And you just got to put it on the table and say, I've been forgiven for that. Not only have I been forgiven from that, I've been released from that. I need now to begin to live in the freedom of God's forgiveness. Maybe it's an addiction. You're struggling with alcohol and you just don't tell anyone because, well, a good Christian doesn't struggle with alcohol. It's time to put it on the table. You weren't created to struggle with it. You were created to be freed from it. You need to put it on the table and say, hey, you know what? This is not going to affect my standing before God. People aren't going to look at me any less. I'm just going to honestly put it here and say, here it is. Alcohol, pornography, whatever it might be, I'm just going to put it on the table and I'm going to deal with it. We need to put the stuff on the table and deal with it in honest confession. It's not going to affect your righteous standing before God because your righteous standing before God is Jesus. And now that we have a righteous standing before God, let's deal with our stuff so we can live in freedom. Now, I'm not arguing, hey, stand up right now, everybody. Find someone that you can talk to and just lay it out. Having trouble in your marriage at home? You're not the only one. Find, find another couple and go to that couple and say, hey, you know what? We've been just terrible to each other. And I guarantee that other couple is going to relate a little bit, if not a lot. Whatever the issue might be, we need to put it on the table and deal with it because we weren't created to live with these chains and these shackles. You've been declared righteous. Why not live like it? 
Our first practical application is honest confession. Everybody here today can identify something that you can say, I, I want to deal with this. I'm, I'm, I want to deal with this. I've been stealing from my work. I've been whatever. Deal with it. Second practical application is this. Stop trying harder. This is a problem. I know this is a problem. I've had people say this to me. Okay, I, I just need to try harder to be a better Christian. Okay, let's break that statement down before. I need to try harder to be a better Christian. That whole statement is heresy. Because you can't try harder to be a better Christian because you know what? There's no such thing as a better Christian. A Christian is covered by the righteousness of Jesus. You can't get better than the righteousness of Jesus. And trying harder is not going to help. Trying harder is not going to help. Your issue is not that you're trying, not trying hard enough. Your issue is this. Honesty and knowledge. Honesty and knowledge. If you're sitting at yourself looking right now going, man, I'm just living a life where I'm not obedient to Jesus. I'm not experiencing this life of joy with Jesus. Your issue is not that you're not trying hard enough. Your issue is that you're not being honest about what's going on in your life and you don't have enough knowledge from God's Word to bring that freedom. It's not about trying harder. You can't try harder and God's like, okay, he's tried a little bit, she's tried a little bit harder here, I'm going to give him a little more grace. No. God's already given you all the grace. Jesus has already died. You can't make Jesus love you anymore. It's already a done deal. Stop trying harder and simply go back to the first practical application. Honest confession. Honest confession, stop trying harder. And our third practical application is the same as last week. Boast in Jesus. When you go to your job interview, what do you usually do? Tell about past success, right? Well, when I was at my previous company, we increased revenue by 27%. When I was at my past company, we had no staff turnover. What are you doing? You're boasting in your past success. What do we see here in Romans chapter 3? Look with me at Romans chapter 3 at the end of the section we read today, verses 27 through 31. Verses 27 through 31, what's the whole point? The whole point is this. What becomes of our boasting? We can't boast in the works of the law. We can't boast in our goodness. So what do we have to boast in? Jesus. Because at the job interview with God, I'm not talking about my good works. I'm not talking about my morality. All I'm saying is, wow, look at this Jesus. Look at this Jesus who loved every person. Look at this Jesus who spent time with the downtrodden. Look at this Jesus who looked not to his will, but looked to the will of his heavenly Father. I want to brag about Jesus. I want to boast in Jesus. In other words, Jesus should be your pride and joy. And all of us know what this means, right? How many of you this morning, if I asked you, you have something that's your pride and joy, how many of you would say, yeah, I have a pride and joy? Everybody, does nobody have something that's their pride and joy? Everybody has something that's their pride and joy that what? That thing or that person does what? It gives you strength. It gives you enjoyment. There's nothing wrong with having things that are your pride and joy, that, that give you strength and hope. But what should be our ultimate pride and joy is Jesus Christ. Why? Because everything else that's our pride and joy at some point is going to fall. Even if it's your children. Your children can give you pride. Your children can give you joy. But at some point... Your child can't answer for you. Your job, your success 
can't answer for you. It can set you up for a beautiful retirement, but at some point, it's going to be done. Everything else, as your pride and joy, the strength diminishes at some point when something strikes. There's only one thing that can give you strength and eternal joy. That's Jesus Christ, because Jesus Christ can make us righteous before an eternal God. Today, we can boast in Jesus, find our pride and find our joy. And when we find our pride and joy in Jesus, what happens? We can begin to live as righteous people, experiencing the freedom God created us to live with. Go forth today, not living as a pardoned sinner, but living as a righteous child of God who finds their pride and joy in Jesus Christ. We don't need to build up our resume anymore because the perfect resume already exists in Jesus Christ. And you and I today are declared righteous when we put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ, the one with the perfect resume. I invite you today to make a confession, to make a confession of your need for a Savior and to profess faith in Jesus Christ and experience that freedom. The past is forgotten. You know what, right now, I know what you're thinking right now. I know the past is forgotten with God, but not the people around me. Well, we need to start asking God to make us the type of people that can forget the past as well and help others enter into that life of forgiveness. And so this next week, when someone makes an honest confession to you, it's not, oh, now you've got something to hold against them. Now you can elevate yourself above them. No, not at all. All you can do is say, same with me. I'm in the same boat as you. It might not be the same thing, but I'm in the exact same boat. Let us be those type of people that can receive honest confessions so that we can empower each other to live as righteous children of God, that which we are through faith in Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Almighty God, acknowledge to you this morning, God, that oftentimes we try to do things on our own strength. Oftentimes, God, we look to our own morality and our own good works. We acknowledge this morning, God, that we have fallen short of your glory. We agree with your indictment that we are not righteous. This morning, God, we confess that to you, and we ask that you'd give us the ability to believe in Jesus. God, this morning I pray for each person that's here, that you, God, would give each person a desire to confess to one another. I pray, O oh Lord, that you'd break through people's hearts, give them a hunger for knowledge, that they can understand and begin to live in freedom. And Lord, I pray this morning that you would enable each of us to find our pride and find our joy in you. God, forgive us when we look to other people in other places for our strength and our joy. God, strengthen us today to be your children. Thank you for each person that's here. Thank you for the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your kindness. We praise you, God, and we say, to you be the glory alone. In Jesus' name, amen.